Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome to the next episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast. This week, uh, having spent a lot of time in client and customer land, almost every person I speak to talks about, oh, we've got tons going on, right? There's lots of change. And so I thought it'd be really appropriate to speak to someone who's got tons of experience in the change world. So I'm going to welcome onto the podcast today, Karen Simmons. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi, Pete. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's, it's a pleasure. And now, Karen, you've got tons of experience in the change world. So uh, as I normally start this, this podcast with the same question, I'd be interested in your take on it. Um, in the world of change, what does freedom mean for you? Uh, ooh, in the world of change, for me, it's about just being free to be who you are um, and, mm. and do that without harming others and um being aware but just be as you are don't put don't put some don't put yourself down or or make yourself into something that others say you should be i think that's my view on it come mm. as you are come as you are love that um now you know given my background that's we could have a you know a week's conversation about that karen <laughs> i'm interested first of all what if who you are isn't who you want to be? Oh, that's a good question. I think who you are is who you want to be. I think who you want to be is more because someone else says you should be. Um, I mean, in terms of freedom to come as you are, mm. I want leaders, especially because I work with a lot of leaders in organisations, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want leaders to free themselves from who they think they should be to someone that they are. And, and, and I've just, I've witnessed so many people and so many teams with so much potential just not fulfill that potential because there's so much ego and insecurity mm -hmm. in the way. Mm -hmm. Could you make a distinction there? Because when I was thinking about, you know, what if you don't want to be who you are and you want to be someone different mm. in the world that we've existed, you know, in our careers, we've, we've been mm. trying to help and support people get better, you know, mm. better communicators, better able to deal with change, um, mm. whatever that means, you know, maximizing, optimizing our potential. Mm. And so for me, the logic therefore is, you know, who I am could be a bit better. Mm -hmm. So the, the, yep. the future me, you know, come as I could be <laughs> needs to be a bit different. So how, how do you, kind of make that distinction between what's the ego and the insecurity doing that's keeping us there versus how it could support a better version of ourselves yeah so there's, there's a lot in that so let's unpack that <laughs> let's unpack that a little bit at a time so cool. first of all if, if there is something you want to change about yourself I think that's the first thing you have to want to yeah um so if you want to change something about yourself it's about identifying where you are now. Um, how do you know 
you're not already what you want to be. It's just yourself that's getting in the way. So first of all, identify what it is you want to change. Have a good look at where you are now and what you can practice to do differently. A lot of it is about self-reflection, practice, acquiring some new knowledge, looking at people who act, behave, talk the way you want to, and then really unpacking that and starting to develop a plan for yourself around what little things about yourself can I change every day? Um, and actually, I think most people are surprised that it isn't the big things. It isn't the, oh, I need to study for three years to become something else. Um, it's tweaks, it's improvements, it's continuous improvement in ourself. And even the best kind of coaches, yoga instructors, um, you know, mental health practitioners, all those people will all, always say it's a, a lifelong practice. Mm. Um, we, we're fundamentally a work in progress. And I think that's why that's why I like the come as you are, because we're all a work in progress and we're all winging it. And none of us know for certain what's around the corner. So if we can just practice and be clear about what we want to be and who we want to be um, and just get out there and and try something different. Keep moving forward. That, that's a, a fascinating insight. Karen, because I'm, I'm the, the uh, almost a, a persona came to mind of your classic experienced leader mm -hmm. who, when Karen or Pete show up and they say, you know, no one really knows what's going on. You know, some of the words you said, you can almost, you know, feel the shoulders bristle and then look at you and go, no, I do know. Uh, and you, you, we know what's going on behind the scenes. I, I do know what's going on, you know, this, that, and the other with my business, with the market, with my customers. Mm -hmm. how, how would you approach someone that was so stuck mm -hmm. in their current way of being that mm -hmm. they couldn't see themselves beyond that? It's about slowly... What's the word I want to say? Um, just slowly chipping away at the, at mm -hmm. the mask. Mm -hmm. And some of us have very large, heavy masks that we wear every day. Um, and it's a lot lighter once you've got rid of it. <laughs> mm. But it takes, it takes, first of all, sort of some self-reflection. Um, and it takes some vulnerability to change. You have, you have to make yourself vulnerable, otherwise you get no movement, right? You have to go into the uns unstable territory to, to actually change anything. Um, it's almost like physics, really. You know, you have to get, you know, for every action, there's a reaction and you have to kind mm. of keep testing and keep trying and keep moving forward. Um, I don't think, you see, I don't believe there's a formula. That's, that's the thing. I, it, it, I struggle to articulate how I approach these things because they're so, we're all so unique and every individual is in their own unique starting place. Mm. So, so one of the things I practice is meeting people where they are mm -hmm. um, and, and, and moving from there. It's something I say quite a lot, you know, meet people where they are. It's something that my own team and my own associates and myself, it's one of our principles you know, meet somewhere that, you know, meet the organization or the leaders where they are and move forward from there. Don't don't try and jump to where they should be or ought to yeah. be, um, because the pathway is completely different depending on who you're dealing with. Um, uh, I don't know how this all sounds, but I think, you know, if you asked me that question or I asked you that question, we'd kind of know the intention of the question and we might be able to articulate it. What about those people that might be listening that would have or are dealing with people who have got relatively low self-awareness? And when asked the question, you know, who are you? Well, I'm Pete. And where are you at? Well, I'm here. How do you help see someone beyond that little bit? Mm, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question to answer <laughs> because, because again, I would, I would meet them where they are. So if you say to me, you're Pete mm -hmm. and I'm here, 
my next question would probably be that that's great. So who's Pete? And really get someone to try and kind of give some literacy around who Pete is. So, so what does Pete like to do? What is right. um, what's the what's the best thing you've you've ever achieved in your life? What's the worst moment? You know, really kind of sort of mm. step into who is Pete a little bit more mm -hmm. um, before moving on to the, to the the next question of well, I am here. Well, what is here? What well, what's what does that mean for you? Um, I think it's about making sense of who we are, where we are. Once mm. once there's a little bit of literacy around that, and we can explain it, we can then start to say, well, what do we need to do to move forward from here, or why mm. are we moving forward from here? What's wrong with Pete and where he is right now? Um, and so so it's exploring. I you know an explorer's mindset, I think, is what what I have I'm fascinated by people fascinated by all aspects of work um and and fascinated by organizational ecology really you know like how all of those things work together um we just have to remain curious yeah. you, you you said at the start Karen um one of the premises mm. would be to you ha you'd have to want to mm. Other situations where I might not want to, but I have to. Yeah, yeah. That well, there are situations sometimes where you you have you have to change. If you're if we're talking about leaders in organisations, for example, yeah. or even um, employees inside organisations, if an organisation is changing direction or is going to to do something differently in service of sustaining that organization through periods of change then there's inevitably going to be times when there will be a have to um and so and so but that's still a choice for you as an individual mm -hmm. because if you choose not to um for fear of failing or for fear of not doing it as well as somebody else or or of looking like a fool because i don't really understand this new way of doing things um, that says more to me about the psychological safety within the organization than it does mm. about the human being being impacted by the change. Mm. So um, if you have to change, you really have to give yourself a good reason for it. And, and that has to be something that you, um, you can understand and connect to. So I would spend quite a lot of time on connecting to purpose you know what why why is the organization changing why does it need to change why do i have to change and what's that going to take for me um, to be able to connect to this new way of working or new it system whatever the transformation or change might be but it's always a choice i think sometimes we forget that change is it, it is always a choice um, because you do have a choice not to but it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that you'll always have a choice to stay doing what you want to do because your context may change around you. Um, so it's bringing awareness to that, I think, is the first the first um, step. Yeah. Um, I thought it just struck me, Karen, um, and certainly one of my Achilles heels that's <laughs> relatively big Achilles heel is I get stuck in comparison. Mm. And so... <laughs> You know, come as you are. Yeah, Pete, you look, you're okay, right? But compared to him or her or they or them, it's like, mate, you are just average, big time average. How would you help? Well, <laughs> I'm not asking for, you know, public therapy here, but how would you help someone, I guess, quieten that voice or deal with or navigate the inevitable comparisons that we get thrust down our phones and eyes and ears constantly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, God, that's so it's so true. And it's one of mine as well. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Carol Dweck's growth, mm -hmm. the growth mindset and the new psychology of success, her book um, mm -hmm. and research that backs that up. Comparing ourselves to others is one of the hardest conditions of the of, of mindset to shift. Right. Um, under in Carol Dweck's work, she talks about other conditions like overcoming obstacles, challenging ourselves. Yeah. Um, but but comparing ourselves to, to others is a very fixed mindset. We are comparing ourselves to, to something else rather than comparing ourselves to tomorrow, 
from today, if you see what I mean. So are we better yeah. tomorrow? Am I better on the next podcast <laughs> than I was on the last one? Yeah. I should be comparing myself to my own performance, not, sure. you know, not sitting here thinking, oh my God, I'm not as good as Brené Brown on podcasts and I need to be as good as her. She's, she's fantastic. That just keeps us locked in a deterministic view of the world and it keeps us locked in the uh, performance zone which is not necessary as if we're trying to grow and improve we need to be much more of the learner's mind mm. so I would help people to kind of say let's just compare ourselves to where we were six months ago let's see what we can do now that we didn't think was possible six months ago I mean, you know, doing a virtual workshop for me in 2019 yeah. was was rare, clunky and really uncomfortable and awkward. And, you know, in 2020, when I did my first really big learning um, intervention, all virtual, I burst into tears halfway through because I was just so I was just awkward. It was awful. Yeah. And now um, some of these virtual tools and virtual workshops, I, I find such a gift in them. They're, they're, they're an amazing way to connect with people. But if you'd have asked me that in 2019, I'd have said no way. And if you'd have asked me in 2019, did you know that in 2022, you're going to be in the top 3% of global users of Slido, <laughs> I'd have said, what Slido? <laughs> and, now, <laughs> and now apparently I'm in the top 3% users in the world of, of wow. it. So wow. you know what I mean? Once, if you compare yourself to others, you lose the richness of comparing yourself to yourself, <laughs> which is, which is going to keep us really reaching for what's possible. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, sharing that that um vulnerability there kind of i'll reciprocate and where i have a slight challenge with this view is in the main for most of my professional career i've benefited from comparing myself to people that are better mm. right? whether that's on the golf mm -hmm. course whether it's as a parent whether it's as a you know, as a presenter, as a coach, I'm always looking, and, and I know we've got this obsession with ascension, we're always looking up. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually benefited me more than most situations. And yet I do see uh, the terror that it causes me when I don't quite make it yet. Right. And, and I'm wondering if you have a view on, because it's almost like we should compare ourselves to ourselves. Yes, but you know, until I can see someone fully finger type, then I'm going to just keep going with my two fingers. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a better, different way. How, how do you help someone, me, <laughs> reconcile the, the upside of comparison with the downside of comparison? Yeah, I think, I think my first question to you is, who are you competing with and what's the competition about? Um, because to be the best you can be, I would definitely encourage looking at others who are who you admire. So find the people you admire, find the ones that are doing not just what you want to do, but they're doing it in a way you want to do it. They practice the values that you have. They they show this the there's someone you you can look up to. Um, and and those sort that sort of comparison is a way of learning from taking from others what you can bring into your own practice and your own way of being. Um, but the, it's the expectation gap. That's, that's, where, that's where the terror comes in, to use your word, yeah. where you expect to um, be as good as, as Brené Brown talking about vulnerability and shame, mm. um, and then you don't quite make it. And, and you, the expectation gap is way too big. You know, it's way too big. So, so we have to kind of have compassion for ourselves first, that this is where we aspire to be. And we're going to practice different skills and, and ways to get us there. Um, but I don't want to be her. I'm not Brené Brown. I don't, I'm not the same person. You're not the same person as to whoever it is you compare yourself to. And everyone you compare yourself to will equally have challenges insecurities 
terror, fear, yeah, <laughs> shame. They've, they've already been through all of that with, with others they've looked up to. Um, so sometimes I feel we need to kind of step back a bit and go, what's, what, what, what are we competing for? What's, what's that about? Let's understand that about what we want to be good at um, and find the best pathway forward for us uh, without as much stress. I think one of the challenges as well is, well, you know, what happens if you are as good as that person that you're comparing yourselves to? Mm. Where do you go next? If, if you know, that's not that's no fun either. You need to keep raising the bar um, to, to the next. But the, for me, there's always learning and growth, and so I wouldn't say don't look at other people and take take great knowledge and skills and learning and observation from them. Mm. But because you're comparing yourself um, with someone who is not you and therefore won't perform in the same way that you do. I like that question. What are you competing for? And I may just maybe ask for some of your experience mm. um, without naming names. Uh, what do you usually, are there any kind of common things people are competing for when they use comparison? Mm. Let's think about that. In so many, I've got so many different diverse um, mm. thoughts on, on that. I, I spent a period of period of my life in Papua New Guinea, uh, mm-hmm. running a social development program um, over there, and I would find volunteers would be comparing comparing themselves to the thought they had about the change they wanted to bring about in the community, for example. So um, I want to, I want to leave this place having enabled people to be literate and comparing themselves to the fact that that was never going to be possible. And, um, but it was, it was their competition with themselves to kind of say, this is what, this is what I want to do for the community, but it, it it doesn't, um, doesn't work. I think with, individual leaders mm. comparing yourself let me think I'm struggling to think of an example ask me another question let me think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, ask it in a different way maybe maybe it'll connect well let, let me let me let me just reflect on that question for myself if I think about mm. the, you know the upside and the downside of comparison and you know that reframe question so what am I competing for Mm-hmm. you know part of me wants to see i'm competing for uh, the, I, I, the right but I, I don't mean like a human mm-hmm. right the right to optimize my potential um, mm-hmm. um i'm also competing for uh i guess if i go pretty deeper i'm competing for love and acceptance mm-hmm. and there's a whole raft of things in between <laughs> my right to optimize my potential and competing for love and acceptance yeah yeah very interesting the love and uh, acceptance piece as well I, th- I think again that comes back to the fundamental question is can you compete for that really you either have it you either you either are or you aren't um not to get too philosophical and too deep about it, but, you know, I wrote um, a poem about the human race uh, that I put out online. And um, I one thing that always struck me, and I put it out on social media saying, um, we are the human race. We're not in a human race. And I, Ooh, and I, think I like that distinction. That, that's the distinction I try and make with people who I coach. It's like, I don't, you know, we we are the human race. That they're, they're, we're not in one. So, of course, people will compete for jobs. People mm. will compete for promotion. Um, of course, they're they're compete. If you're a sportsman and you want to be at the top of your game, there are competitions that you have to enter in order to test yourself in terms of where you are against others. And that so there are competitions. Uh, races that we have to run occasionally and we can prepare ourselves for those but a but a constant it sounds very draining to constantly be in a competition with being better 
Do you know what I mean? Mm. Rather yeah, I do, than yeah. But it is. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. It's totally exhausting. Um, and and I do it all the time. It's, you know, you're constantly looking at looking at um, how you can get better and better and better. And it is exhausting. So mm. sometimes we just have to give ourselves a break, really, and have a bit of compassion instead of competition. Um, and so when you say competing for the right to to be better or to improve your, yourself, um, it should be again, it's a choice. It's actually there's no one putting pressure on you to be better. I don't need you. I don't need anyone else giving me that hard time. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I was gonna say it's probably you that you're yeah, the only one. without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> <clears throat> Everyone yeah. that cares for me would go, Pete, stop. You, you, you've, yeah. You're done, right? You've done enough. And I'm going, yeah, just so one more. <laughs> and the, the, the thing that's interesting there, Pete, is I wonder if there's part of you as well that thinks, um, but if I stop competing, I'm going to lose my edge. Is there part of you that feels that if you slow down, does that mean I'm not going to be as the top of my game? Because that's a, that's a fear that, that we all have and that I hear a lot. It's like, if I ease off the pedal, then I'm never going to get back on, oh, you know. I'll lose my edge. I won't be as good. I need to be switched on all the time, despite. Karen, without a doubt, without a doubt, there's a massive part of that. Yeah. And here, here's where I struggle. Maybe this is turning into a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's where I, I, I struggle. And I've been working on this uh, with the little practices for, you know, the last two or three years. Mm. Um, I, I don't really feel like I've got a job. Mm-hmm. Right, you you know those of us those of you that can see my background, I've read and read lots of stuff, so I'm always interested in, and it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. So I'm always nudging and pushing and provoking because I get energy from it. Mm-hmm. It feeds me, mm-hmm. and yet I feel full many times. Yep, yep. And it's toggling the the balance between you know not eating metaphorically for a while so I'm hungry versus yeah. stuffing my face full of more quotes, more articles, more books, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and finding that equilibrium, if you like, is, is a real challenge. Yeah. Now, I struggle with that one too because, you know, many years ago when I sort of started out in my career, you, you are lucky if you read one business book, um, yeah. you know, every three months, there was only one and it was, you know, and the Harvard Business Review was my kind of go to, it still is, but you know, it was like it was there so that I could find out where the latest, um, where the latest thinking was. But if you think about the rate of information flow now, yeah. it's not a surprise that you can look up change management and you'll find 195 different books resources methodologies ways of doing things and if you don't read them all you think you're missing out yeah but the irony of that pete is if you go to university you'll probably only study four or five of them (laughs) and then by the time you come up out of university there's another 500 that have been produced um because knowledge is so accessible now yeah um and I, I, I'm quite a big fan of um, Warren Berger's The Beautiful Question. He talks about the currency. The currency of knowledge is going down, but the currency of questions is going up. It's not mm. about knowledge. We can all find that. But do you know what you're searching for? Do you know what the right question is? So that you've got, mm. you've got a point to your, to your search, as it were. And I think that that's, for me, um, what's changed is it used to be you had to read all of the big heavy textbooks, you had to know everything, you had to be on top of everything. Mm. Actually, I find more and more with my learning experiences, my coaching and consulting as well, the curation is, is, um, is what we do now. We curate the sort of latest thinking for people so they don't have to trawl through it. And then it's the question, so the so what, okay? Um, but I do hear you and I, and I feel for you because I struggle with that too. I'm mean, just constantly feeding myself with new books. And now I can't remember who said what and which book. Yes, that yeah. and, and whether <laughs> it's right. on Audible, whether it's a yeah, that's book, right. whether I actually bought it. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a constant struggle. Agree. I think many people listening would be of the same ilk, Karen. Um, mm. I read recently that the the half life of an engineering degree, which means fifty percent of what you learn, is either redundant or being overtaken by updated technology, is about eighteen months. Yeah. So people doing an engineering degree now, by the time they leave uni, three, four, five years later, half of what they know is now obsolete. Uh, and that that for me is why we need more people coming out of university with explorer mindsets. They've yep. got to, they've got to want that thirst for exploring, um, to be inclusive, to listen to different diversity of thought. You know, we need people who are open to seeing things and acquiring knowledge in different different ways. You don't want people coming out and going, "Phew, that's three years of my life over and done with." Now I'm going to stick with that deterministic view and just get, you know, the best job I can at the most money without thinking more laterally around what else is out in the context that's i think the big challenge mm. I, I do feel for the you know the current uni grads and you know i've got you know, 25 22 and 18 year old and they're coming into a world where uh, again I, I don't know how old you are Karen, but my growing up was oh. my comparison was the people this the kids on the same street yeah yeah. Whereas the comparison now is in the flick of a, a, a scroll, you've got comparison to the, you know, the rich kids of Florida. That's exactly. That we'd we'd never have, we'd never, I was never exposed to that as a kid. No, I was never exposed to anyone who'd been to university. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think, um, you know, they, they were always the posh kids, you know, that, that so things changed dramatically mm. um, over the last few years. And I and I agree with you. The, the yeah, I've got some step. Well, I say step children. You know, one is thirty and one's 20, yeah. 29 now. Yeah. So um, they, you know, and one is graduated, and um, you know, she's a nurse nurse profession, but but also wants to do other things, right? Whereas, it, you know, many years ago that would have been what you did. You studied to be a nurse, and so that was it. It's like, well, actually, I want to be a nurse, but I but I also want to have a floristry and I want to do something else with my life as well as giving some of my time up for nursing. I mean, I, I think it's fabulous provided that we can create workplaces that enable that and don't admonish that thought, you know, it's okay mm -hmm. for people to want to do different things and experience different things in their life. Um, it's, it's just different now. So, so, I'm in my 50s and I think, it, you know, people of my age group, we need to kind of get out of the way of yeah. enabling the kids to do things in the way that, that that's going to be right for them going forward. We have to give them the right nurturing environment for that to happen. Um, Karen, so just on that, can I just ask your, your thoughts then? Does, does that mean that we need to be th redefining the meaning of work? and or the meaning within our work? I think it's happening. Yes, I, I think yes, yes, to both, because um, it, that is happening. People are finding different meaning behind work and, and the economics, the whole ecosystem's different um, to, to, I mean, in, in my day, when I was first starting out in my sort of career, I think I was very, well, extremely unusual for, for, I didn't go down a specific route. I went very broad and worked across many industries, which I think is more common now. Um, my neighbor's daughter, um, it was, and, and your children are probably the same age, came out of university having not had the ability to go on placement because she was a COVID university grad couldn't go out just just had to learn the theory and I'm so incredibly grateful to one of my clients who's a very forward-thinking HR director who 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 acknowledged that the degree the work that she'd done would be great for a project in their in their organization and took her for three months um, before that she'd applied for thousands of jobs full-time jobs not got anywhere after that three month assignment, suddenly she's got two or three job offers and now she's kind of 
choosing where she wants to be in her words for the next two years <laughs> wow so only for the next two years so very different mindset but yeah. um but there are different things so there are there are progressive leaders out there that will start to look at chunking the work down so that we can say what are the skills that we need to lock in for this piece of work and then we have to be happy to let them go and go well done you know move on do something else um because i think that's the way it's going you know work needs to be very focused around um the job that needs to be done Mm -hmm. um, and communities will be formed in different ways i think over the next few years interesting uh karen i'm going to be a little bit cheeky if i may um would you happen to have that poem to hand and, my and poem that poem secondly, that would, yes. if you do would you be willing to to share it i can share it yeah i wrote this so i wrote i wrote the poem come as you are in after about three years of being in australia mm -hmm. um and it was written from a place of compassion to, to mm -hmm. really just encourage leaders to to free themselves from what i observed as stress-filled obsession with being the best and being right and um i found myself getting a bit like that too so i sat down and wrote a poem so it's called come as you are if you want your team to achieve a lot more please leave your hierarchy at the door come join the discussion as the person you are be present and curious don't judge from afar open yourself up to not being the boss diversity of thought should be nurtured not lost every team player has the potential to share though willingness comes when there is trust and care so be the boss that shows the spirit to create and not the one that needs to dominate and when you do leave your hierarchy at the door just watch how your team will achieve so much more wow <laughs> that's it my little ditty thank you um, Oh, um, you're if, if it's okay with you, Karen, we'll probably put that in the show notes for people to yeah. read again, because I'm sure there's plenty of insights from, from even just some of the, you know, the ways that you've expressed what you observe going on. Mm. Thank you. No, I, I think I find I'm a bit of a deep thinker um, and mm -hmm. also a bit of a creative at heart. Um, so I just struggle to write long winded white papers and prefer to write <laughs> short ditty poems instead <laughs> yeah well there, there's a skill and a, a passion there mm, yeah thank you um i'm going to tap into your curation skills if i may over the next mm. two or three questions mainly for the people that are listening um you've mentioned quite a lot about things being a practice mm. pretend i know nothing um what are your top three tips to make something a practice top three tips to make something a practice hmm. keep it small and specific mm -hmm. so for example so let's use an example i think feedback i want to give be able to give feedback better well mm -hmm. that's too big that's too broad what's what is what is it you're going to actually practice so really challenge yourself to sort of start out with something you want to improve and then almost coach yourself into kind of making it very specific what's what's the one thing that you can do differently to improve this skill so mm -hmm. i would say break it right down mm -hmm. um, there's a great book by bj fogg called tiny habits which is yep which is super um, reading to help with kind of framing and reframing um, how we how we can break things down. The second thing I would say, use your power of observation first. So it's a skill that is so overlooked. We go straight into acquiring knowledge and then practicing it through our words and our actions. Whereas actually step one for me is Again, just be curious, see, see how other people do it. Ignore, you know, like, who have you had feedback from? Observe other people giving you feedback. Mm -hmm. Notice how they do it. Keep a notebook on what you're practicing. I think that would be my third tip. 
always keep it you know close close to hand so that you can go oh that was a really good question I've got my notebook here that was a really good question that Pete asked so I've, I you know I, I will write things down if I want to improve my questioning um, I'll find them everywhere and then I'll practice one question that I want to uh, put into my coaching practice for example mm. so not not all of them just just one and, and see how that goes so be very deliberate about it so keep it specific mm -hmm. use your power of observation not not just the theory but look at how it's done and how it's done well that could be through videos it could be through just observing people you know um, and then keep a notebook keep a journal um, of all your highs and lows mm. I, I heard uh, a bit like we've talked about, I can't remember who was it said it, but it kind of resonated on what you've said that one of the secrets, and it's not even a secret, to high performance in any field is being somewhat comfortable, somewhat okay with doing the mundane and the dull mm -hmm. and the choreful, because those are the things that lead to over time, cumulatively, us being a better version of ourselves. Mm. Yeah, it's quite a lot of housekeeping involved in getting better yeah. at something um the, the one of my favorite eduardo um eduardo who runs the growth mindset faculty he was a, a carol dweck was his mentor um there's a great ted talk by him called the learning zone versus the performance zone mm -hmm. and he breaks down in that 15 minute ted talk um and i'm happy to give you the link for your show notes as well that'd be great um, he breaks down what it is to to learn a skill and and we have to get out of the performance zone because if we, we talked at the start here about comparing ourselves with others that's really performance zone that's when we're kind of running that race and we're trying to see whether we're better than the learning zone is when we've already done that race and we're sitting down and going right my starts need to be a bit better um, I feel like I'm losing pace midway through. So maybe I need to do a bit more on my stamina. The learning zone is when we really do our homework and, and, and sit down and, and practice our starts at the start of the race a thousand times over. That's the mundane bit that you were talking about. Yeah. It isn't, it isn't actually doing the performance. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to, um, after this podcast, go away and go, great. Okay. So what happened? What, what what's gone well what's not gone well um and break it down when i first got into this role for 23 years ago um one of the first pieces of kit that i was given was a blank journal mm -hmm. and it was a cultural thing where and because you know we're, we're in the the domain of getting constant feedback from clients and customers 24 seven. There's a blessing in that and a curse, but the, the cultural aspect was every delivery, there was a win, learn, change conversation, every delivery, there was a win, learn, change journal, even if it just took a minute. And so consecutively and cumulatively over time, there was, it was impossible not to get better. Mm, yeah. After every, if I co-facilitate with someone after every, day of facilitation win learn change yeah what what what, what did we do well what did we mm. learn from what we did what needs to change um what am i going to practice tomorrow mm. um yeah it's really good um discipline it actually does require discipline doesn't it it does yeah and, and i find people have got so much on their plate perceived to be on their plate they're trying to cover themselves across everything that the the usual mask is i don't have time mm-hmm Mm. I don't have time to do the housekeeping. I don't have time to do the mundane because I can't get quick results. And all I'm being judged by is the results that I create. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's such an irony in that. There is, there is. And it's a, uh, it's a short term win over a long term gain. Yeah. You may actually get by, you know, for the, for the short term, but you're not going to sustain the gains that you want. If you if you don't give yourself time to practice and, and certainly in coaching, I do a lot of group coaching. So I'll take a leadership group um, on a coaching journey. Mm. And, and more often, the fruitful conversations are in why we didn't do what we said we were going to do. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are 
rich conversations because it's not so much the action but it's okay you you chose the action then you didn't do it Mm. so who is getting in the way of you doing that Mm. do you really want it or do you not want it because we know without motivation um change is incredibly difficult the 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 have to change is again a short-term fix it's not going to sustain us so we have to find the way the way the will not and, just and i read uh, it was again one of those references from a while ago there was it was heart surgery patients when told by the the doctor you know you have to change your lifestyle otherwise you will die mm-hmm. and only 38 percent actually did mm. so on the pain of death mm-hmm. some would say possibly the most significant consequence still people weren't able to make the changes they said they wanted to yeah 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 it's um that's a staggering statistic isn't it it's staggering <laughs> it is it's, it's staggering how we've made any changes given that statistic exactly exactly and and i you know like for me that would mean just getting rid of all of the food out of the house that i wasn't allowed to eat you know if it's not put in your path then you can't you can't be tested right yeah so uh, there are ways to, to, to do things. It's uh, you have to get very creative with, from mm. a change perspective for mm. people who are one of that, that sort of um, other 60 odd percent that, that won't even listen to the most scary uh, reason for change. Um, you have to get quite creative. It's mm. fun. That's why that's why I enjoy it. Um, Karen, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to, if I may ask you a final question, but it, it could be quite a big question. <laughs> so feel free, <laughs> feel free to play or pass. Okay. Um, you've talked a lot about um, the masks that we put on. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if in your, your curation experience, are there, are there typical masks that we put on and therefore what are we hiding from? Hmm. What are we hiding from? I think um, I think we're high. The, the other well, there's two parts of that question, isn't there? The first one was what are the typical masks that we put on? Um, there's some great reading in Brené Brown's work on vulnerability, and she mm-hmm. talks about armored leadership. You know, the fact that yep. we put on a lot of armor. Yeah. Um, I I get the analogy of masks from the work I've done with a tool called the Strength Deployment Inventory mm-hmm. uh, from Core Strengths which really gets to the bottom of what motivates us. And um, typically it's the tribal thing. So we put on masks to fit in. Mm-hmm. So if I am working in a culture inside an organization that behaves in a certain way and expects me to behave in a certain way, then I have, if I'm not that person and I choose to work there, then I have to wear a mask um to try and fit in Mm. so for me we most frequently put on masks when we are um yeah trying to fit in i don't think there's another better way to to describe it really um which is where the diversity and inclusion well inclusion for me is is so critical for psychological safety if you have a psychologically safe environment you won't need to wear a mask because you can come as you are (laughs) if it's not a psychologically safe environment then then i i mean i'm quite intuitive now after 30 years to know when someone's wearing a mask um, because i can feel that energy they're not who or they're not being allowed to be who they are in that circumstance so I think that's the 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 tip. That's how I typically see it, um, and it also shows up for where um, insecurities again and that kind of ego. Mm. But it's all to do with fitting in. I think um, in my in my experience, the second part of your question then was a was around. I've forgotten already. What did you What did you say? It was two parts. You what, did what say are we hiding? Oh, what are we hiding from? Oh yeah, what are we hiding from? Um, I think we're hi- we're hiding from the the, sh- the shame of, and the insecurity. Um, it's it's 
the insecurity of not being clever enough, not being good enough, not being brave enough, mm. looking stupid, feeling mm. a failure. Um, someone's going to think bad of me. Um, all of those things that come from a sense of conditions of a sort of deterministic view of ourself. Mm. So it's, it's ourself really at, at the core that we're, 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 um, we're masking because we feel we're not good enough. So if we feel we're not good enough in this environment, we'll mask up and um, we'll try and fit in through taking our cues from how others are, because it's the way that people treat you. One of the you know, beautiful things that I learned from the strength deployment inventory many, many years ago, I've been working with that tool for over 20 years now, um, was the fact that on the inside, we are motivated. We behave because we're driven by what we're motivated to do and what our intentions are. Yeah. The problem is that others see us through how they react to what we do. So that whole dynamic is fueled with misinterpretation and miscommunication, mm -hmm. and that's where the difficulty comes in. Nobody can see my internal intentions unless I voice them. Mm. they can only see my behavior and that behavior might be driven from all sorts of places but it's normally frustrations insecurities the big fear um fear of something mm. it's usually under underneath the mask somewhere which seems like a, a perfect kind of closing comment to come back to your counsel right at the start which was to come as you are mm. Yeah, let's just let's just uh, hope that we have many more workplaces um, in Australia that 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 put as much effort into psychological safety mm. um, as as anything else, because that will enable people to really show up. Because they're hiding behind that mask is a wealth of potential, mm. and unless people are able to come as they are, you will never be the best organisation you can be. You'll never be better tomorrow so for me um you know fearless organizations are psychologically safe they're they they also embrace that diversity of thought yeah. and so i want more of those <laughs> here here <laughs> um karen i'm really conscious of time and thank you first of all for your transparency to your insights and i may just finish with a couple of light questions if you sure. would, wouldn't mind maybe just giving your first response to these just to kind of close off a little bit yeah. um are you sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Last movie you laughed at? What I did on my holiday <laughs> with Billy Connolly. And I <laughs> cried. I laughed and cried in equal portions. Wow. Um, your favourite question? Anything left unsaid. Ooh, love that answer. And a book that's changed your life? mindset the new psychology of success cool karen thank you so much i appreciate what you've shared your vulnerability um we'll put all these notes and stuff in in the show notes for people if they're interested and thanks again for your time thank you thanks pete really enjoyed that thank you you're welcome bye